hello and welcome to the Cognitive Engineering Podcast produced by me, Fraser McGrewer for Aleph Insights. In this series of podcasts, we take a look at interesting topics and discuss what we think they tell us about analysis and decision making. I'm here with Chris Ragg, Peter Coghill and Nick Hare of Aleph Insights. And this week, we're discussing the Ozymandias effect. Nick, what in the world is the Ozymandias effect? Well, being British, we'll all be familiar with Shelley's famous poem, or is it Coleridge? No, no, it's Shelley. Yeah, Yeah, being British, being British, we'll we'll all be familiar with the uh, with Shelley's famous poem uh, Ozymandias, which describes a um, describes an abandoned statue in the in the Egyptian sands, and um, uh, and the the on on the um, the pedestal near near this this uh, sort of broken statue from thousands of years ago. It says, uh, my, my name is Ozymandias, king of kings. Look on my works, ye mighty, in despair. And of course, uh, Ozymandias meant, look at how great and mighty my works are and despair that you will never reach the heights of my greatness. And now we understand that statement really to mean, look at what happens to even the mightiest kingdom and despair that nothing can last. Um, because when you look course, around you, it's just One ruined. of the greatest ironies of all time. Yeah, And of course... Um, you know, when we think of Ozymandias and, and King Ramesses, um, our minds turn naturally to David Cameron, uh, a similar <laughs> figure in many ways. But but uh, in particular, a tweet that he put out before um, before I think the twenty was it twenty fifteen election? Yes. Um, yep. Where he said uh, Britain faces a simple and inescapable choice: stability and strong government with me, or chaos with Ed Miliband. Now, uh, anyone who knows anything about the political history of Britain over the last couple of years would have spotted that um, chaos has been a, probably a notable feature, I think, in even a very unbiased retelling of events. Um, and so it was David Cameron who won the election. David Cameron won the election, called for a referendum. The referendum happened and then everything else happened. And we are where we are now. So um, it just uh, I think the good thing about tweets is they have the same sort of modern day status as um you know, as ancient inscriptions. Uh, and uh, so, yeah, I mean... About the same number th- of characters. Yeah, exactly. And um, so we uh, there, there we are. I think what we want to talk about is um, what is what exactly do we mean by this, this kind of irony when you're, you know, when the meaning of something you've said is reinterpreted in the light of later events? And can you avoid being a victim of it? And if so, how? Yeah, well, I mean, just first off, not build statues to yourself might be a good one. But... Um, Chris, you look like you want to jump in. Yeah, well, I, I, I mean, it's um, there is an element of uh, inevitability about it, I think, uh, and um, you know, it's the the with this particular David Cameron um, incident, uh, the the problem that that somebody like David Cameron has is that um, you can't then look at the counterfactuals, right? So you can't sort of say, okay, we'll just go back in time and make Ed Miliband. Uh, the the prime minister and see see what happens uh, and you know it may have been even more chaotic at that point so there's this there's this issue of uh, you know um, counterfactuals there's also the issue of the benefit of hindsight right you know I mean um, you at the time you you obviously aren't gifted with what what comes after you and so um, you know, you're not aware that it's going to become ironic. And I think it's worth sort of saying, you know, what kind of irony we're talking about here. I mean, irony generally, or at least 
previously has been used to to refer to sort of more dramatic irony and its use in uh in you know poems like uh, uh uh like Ozymandias by by Shelley um where you're talking about um a discrepancy between the the words as written or the words as said and the meaning interpreted by the the audience and that that play between them in this circumstance we're talking about situational irony where somebody's actions or somebody's words are given a different meaning by the passage of, of history and events c coming to pass and that's what you don't know at, at, at the time um, and um, you know quite aside from the I mean we talked at length previously about schadenfreude quite aside from the um, the satisfaction of seeing somebody get their comeuppance in this way there's there's something else at, at work here about how not to become the victim of um, of of what comes to pass after you after you act uh peter uh yeah i found a nice list um of uh, uh ironic quotes on wiki quotes um that 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 all many of which were to do with technology and many and most of them had this very similar format in that i can't imagine x so x must x will never happen so very much born from an uh, an availability bias a sort of i can't i can't think of a way this could happen or i can't imagine how that is this going to involve flight as well in one of your quotes so well yeah i i don't know yeah so there were things about flight there were things about space travel there were th yeah, lots maybe of things about, about the evolution. internet things about computers maybe stuff about the beatles as well i don't know but uh there might have been a Beatles one i didn't see that one but yeah lots of lots of sort of um very bold statements uh by many of them were kind of leaders in their field but uh, often born out of a sort of an argument from ignorance that um, just because I can't imagine it, therefore it must be unlikely to happen. I I am gonna I I'm gonna say there's a distinction here because yes, there are lots of people who've made hilariously bad technology forecasts, but I I think the key with the David Cameron situation and and it's not unrelated with Ozymandias, but is that the thing that happens that proves you wrong is in some way related to actions you took. And I, and I think that's that's what is separates the David Cameron thing. He is trying to convince people to vote for him, right? The chaos and the uh, uh and the the all the kind of yeah, the the chaos that that we have suffered happened in part because of him tweeting things about how life was going to be chaotic if Ed Miliband won. So I so I think it's more this is this is more than just making incorrect predictions because that's easy to fix. Right. You can you can get away from being wrong about things by simply not predicting anything or being or just being uncertain all the time. But the key thing here is when you are trying to achieve something like Ozymandias was trying to show people how powerful he was. And David Cameron is trying to convince people to to go with him and boxers when they do all the smack talk before a bout and then lose. You know, they're, 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 they're trying to have a psychological effect. And that's why it works so well when it goes wrong. Yeah, it's exact, It's exactly that, right? It's who is the... St so the irony is about the displace the temporal displacement of the statement, right? So who is the statement for at the time? So Ramesses, okay, he's writing for, um, well, possibly not for his 
current subjects because it's it's on a it's on a tomb right or or you know um something that's going to be immediately after him but i mean he 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 reigned for for well he lived he lived to be 90 or 91 or something and was you know argu- arguably the most successful um egyptian pharaoh of 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 all time so you you can't complain you know he 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 was sort of um, right in his assertion that he was a sort of great a great emperor. Um, now David Cameron, not so much. I think we'll we'll agree. But the point was his statement was about that moment in time, right? He's trying to achieve an effect at that at that point. He he doesn't care. Just as Ramesses cared slightly less what was going to happen in three thousand years time than he did what was going to happen immediately after his his death when people were looking at the statue. Uh, David Cameron because of the way our politics works, cared less about pe- what people were going to think in 2019 than he did, a, you know, in terms of what people were thinking in 2015. The statement is of its of its time or intended to have a, a shelf life. And it's when we look at it beyond that shelf life that you start to start to come into into trouble, I think. Yeah. It's also hugely rhetorical, throwaway kind of political statement. It's just... It's just there's no new informational value yeah. in it whatsoever. Uh, but to, to David Cameron's credit, he's never tried being an Egyptian pharaoh, so he might be really good at that. He might be great, yeah, Egyptian pharaoh. Um, yeah, and, okay. Well, look, I don't know what to say. Where do you want to go? Well, I mean, there's some interesting stuff on um, on irony in general, right? So, I mean, um, y- you know, for example, uh, there's a, a, an irony within the poem itself is that um, Shelley's poem helped to um sort of give rise to the um the the trend in in uh, 19th century england for um egyptology and you know led to um uh, ramesses being arguably led to ramesses being more prominent than he had been previously and sort of being a bit rediscovered so um you know there are all sorts of unintended uh, consequences and you know perhaps exploring that that issue of um, decisions that we take statements that we make things we try and influence and subsequent unintended consequences of those um, of those types of uh, yeah I mean I because I think the the uh the irony is one of these things that pedants like to pick up people on for misusing but because i there's a bunch of definitions of different kinds of irony that don't seem superficially that related um you've got sort of uh your cosmic irony which i think is um when fate conspires to make uh, unfortunate things happen um dramatic irony which is where the protagonists in a play don't know things that you know as the audience uh, while you're watching events unfold, um, uh, sort of romantic irony where you're where you're uh, you're being self-effacing essentially. You're saying, you know, is kind of being self-critical. Um, uh, situational irony, which again is similar to what we're talking about, where there's a disparity between intended and actual outcomes. Um, and verbal irony, which is what people mostly use it to mean, which is where you say something but mean another. There is a connection, though, between uh, nearly all of these things, which is precisely this issue of there being two meanings behind a thing, mm. uh, whether that thing is a statement or an outcome, you know, where, um, you know, the, the situation means two different things depending on the audience. So Fowler, uh, Fowler's in, in the Fowler's Dictionary of Modern Usage, Eng- English Usage, it says, irony is a form of utterance that postulates a double audience. 
and I, I think yeah so i mean it's 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 obviously an interesting feature that people have focused on um and, and, and I think within sort of decisions, um, you know, the interesting bit about about irony is is where you get the discrepancy that that double meaning, I suppose, where you've got the decision that is made and the outcome that happens. So the decision is made with a um, an optimal goal in mind. Right. You're trying to achieve a particular thing, but it turns out differently in a way that only humans really can sort of determine when that is ironic. So some, some examples are um, like, uh, you know, um, the, the original, uh, um, the, the reason gunpowder uh, was discovered in, in 7th century China, they were trying to make medicine, they were trying to make an elixir of, of life, and they discovered this byproduct. Which then goes on to be you an know, elixir of death. An elixir of death, exactly. And in fact, it's you know, it's it's um, original Chinese name uh, meant meant fire medicine. Um, you know, and the, there there are other sort of um, examples of that. Where so so for me, irony in decision making and and sort of politics and in that context is about trying to trying to achieve one goal and having another outcome occur which is in some way ironic what you know we we know what that means but we can't quite exactly define it it's sort of amusing in some yeah i mean look standing up for people like uh, david cameron and and ramses um these are the people who uh, we're talking about because they tried to do something and you know it, it for whatever reason there was this 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 other outcome that we're talking about and i guess it's similar to that um that phrase um uh, that quote show me show me the man who never made a mistake and i'll show you the man who made nothing right so i guess that's sort of just sticking up yeah, for i these. think there's i think there is a um that that there is an interesting angle here about speech acts like where you are not just conveying information but you're intending to have an effect uh, sort of what I was alluding to with with David Cameron trying to make people vote for him is that sometimes you in order to to enhance the success of something you're trying to do, you have to beef it up with statements that are inherently going to look uh, ironic when if you fail, you know, so I, so I feel like, you know, given that speech acts are a real thing and that, you know, sometimes you do need to say things, you know, if you like this is part of, of leadership. Let's, yeah. Let's try and, you know, get people's morale up by saying, hey, we're really going to give these guys a good seeing to team, you know, and then you lose. It's like um, what's his it, face in Game of Thrones giving a fantastic uh, speech. Um, what's his name? The one who gets his balls cut off in the end. Um, what? Not Littlefinger. <laughs> no, not Littlefinger. Who's the who's the he's effectively a hostage. Um, with oh, uh, Theon Greyjoy. Yeah, and when he gets betrayed by his own people, um, the Greyjoys. No, 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 no. Oh, yeah, yeah it is actually. It, yeah, it's. I think he's holding. God, I'm so bad with all the names, yeah. but this is not going to work on radio. <laughs> <laughs> but do you know the bit I mean? No, not really. Where he gives this. <laughs> I think he. Okay, so first of all, they've captured wherever it was that the Starks live. What's that called? Winterfell. 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 Right. Yeah. So they've, they and they want to hold on to it. And there's about and they and he's done that through betrayal. And they, he's only got about 20 soldiers and there's about 500 outside. And he gives this wonderful stirring speech. Um and um at the end of it all his soldiers go hooray, but it's all he really agreed. One of them just bangs him on the head. And 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 they go. It's a pity that we had to do that because that was a great speech. Um, but um, I digress. Yes. So, 
Yeah. Well, I mean, it's not dissimilar to um, uh, to uh, George Bush declaring victory in Iraq, uh, you know, um, highly prematurely. Uh, and as Nick said, you know, it, it's about trying to trying to achieve an effect. What? So, I mean, one way you can guard against that is is by not speaking with certainty. Right. By saying, well, you know, it, it looks like the worst of it's behind us, but. Um, you know, but it could go badly wrong. You know, nobody wants to hear that, right? You know, that's um, a good point because if you look at like Churchill's really good speeches, they aren't triumphalist. Yeah, they're, they're the opposite. This things are going to get worse before they get better. You know, yeah, but if the gonna... Nazis had invaded, yeah, imagine how ridiculed. He'd, I, he'd I don't been. know because I mean, actually, a lot of them are. You know, we will fight them on the beach. We'll never surrender. Blah blah blah. I mean, it would have been, I suppose, maybe if if we'd have caved in and. Uh, yeah, had but look at Chamberlain, within... right, and his piece of paper. Okay. Oh, perfect. So, yeah. so there's a great, you know, ironic, uh, historically ironic statement. So, um... so look, where, where do we go from this? There is something I want to ask about. I don't think we have we finished with what we want to say about irony. I'm not sure if we've quite got there yet. If we've well, I, I think I think the thing is right when you make a when you make a statement as a leader in these kind of circumstances, there's always the chance that. You're going to you're going you want to give clarity and you want to give certainty to people, so you 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 stretch the boundaries of of um, of, of probability that you would normally uh, act on. But you're trying to shift the probability of you being successful upwards by giving everybody else around you clarity and certainty, right? But there is obviously a chance that you will be proven wrong by history. And once you're proven wrong once, nobody's going to nobody's gonna buy David Cameron's stability and, uh, you know, lack of chaos ever again, right? Mm. He's now widely ridiculed. So it's, it's kind of like a, a, a you know, a one-shot trick, right? Um, <clears throat> but uh, in order to, to guard against that... Um, I I guess you know you need to only use it. it. It's it's kind of like the nuclear option. You only use it in ex- extremists, and you use it when you've got a pretty damn good chance of succeeding. I think those are probably the the two criteria, so that you don't end up with uh, historical <laughs> top tips for any leaders out there. But no, I think you you've maybe you've also got to do it when there's almost no chance of succeeding. Um, thinking again back to work, Churchill and his wartime um, uh, speeches. Or Saddam Hussein and his mother of all battles. Well, yeah, I mean, you've kind of got to do it. You've got to, if it, it's the one thing that rhetoric might bring everyone along with you. Anyway, um, I just want to return to one thing we briefly touched upon, which is counterfactual history. Um, so, um, as we all know, it is in fact um, Brexit is ed miliband's fault right yeah, yeah because he stood against his brother in the internal leadership election for labor party had he not done so um it's likely that his brother david miliband would have won and david Bell- miliband widely sort of viewed as a kind of credible politician would quite likely there's a very good chance he would have then gone on to win the general election but also he might have attracted more of those ukip votes the, the people who defected from labor to ukip might have stayed with labor and so David Cameron wouldn't have to worry so much about UKIP that he had to promise a referendum. Right. There we go. Yeah. Um, and, and we wouldn't have ended up with Brexit. Or um, Trump or ISIS. Yes. I want to talk about counterfactual history. I want to talk about maybe we can each think of an example of, of a counterfactualism. Yeah, I've got one. Yeah. Um, the, the, yeah, the, the, that tickles us a little bit. Uh, well, this is... Uh, uh, well, I, I blame the Mongols for... for um, uh, for the modern world, for for well, for World War Two particularly. 
Go for it. Well, it's just, if it weren't for the Mongols... Oh, is this going to end up with First World War, Second World War? But anyway, yeah, go, yeah, yeah. yeah. That, that, we always end up there. Well, if it's just, if it weren't for the, the Mongols basically totally devastated Asia mm. and left this big vacuum that Russia expanded into. That Russia being a power um, is what meant that uh, Germany couldn't win the First World War and Germany not winning the First World and all the other stuff that happened in the intervening, like, six six or seven hundred years um uh but in particular it meant that you know with russia there that germany couldn't easily win the first world war and that meant that uh you know we had the second world war and then the cold war so if it hadn't been for the mongols we wouldn't have we wouldn't be worrying about vladimir putin bloody mongols bloody mongols yeah that's, that's my one uh like it i like it uh nick or P- not nick um chris or peter so there are two two things i suppose one is um i you know the, the there are lots of counterfactual uh, uh counterfactual um histories written about um the nazis winning winning the war yeah um and uh you know they they <clears throat> Um, always sort of uh, involve, you know, Britain being being occupied in in some way, uh, and you know it being miserable uh, in the country. And um, I think, you know, while that is true, uh, at least our trains would have run on time. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yes, there we go. Nice, Peter. Okay, you keep thinking. Um... So one uh, counterfactual that I haven't really sort of fully played out to conclusion, but let's see where it goes, is there was a pope, I forget which one he was, um, who divided the world into two because he was essentially being petitioned by the Spanish and the Portuguese, who who were the preeminent powers at the time. So I guess we're talking about 15th century, something like that, maybe a little bit later. Um, And so he divided the world into two. And and so the line of longitude, everything to the west uh, was for the Spanish, everything to the east was for the Portuguese. And hence why you get uh, Portuguese colonies in places where you wouldn't expect in, in the Middle East and and in places like uh, in India, in Goa and in Macau and, 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 and in the East Indies, these sorts of places. And why west, why essentially South America is is Spanish speaking, except for Brazil. Um, and the reason why is, and there's arguments that, uh, there's theories that actually the Portuguese knew about this, that there was, an, an island was discovered that happened, that everyone was thought it was the east of this line, but actually turned out to be a huge bloody great continent going to the west. Um, and because of this line, the, the Portuguese were able to keep this island and then country and then go even further and that place became Brazil. No, and if that hadn't happened, I'm a big fan of football and one of the most beautiful things that, yeah, and actually not just football, but culture, what Brazilian culture has brought to the world. So in terms of its football, its music, its art, none of that would have existed. It all just been just usual kind of uh, Spanish-American kind of culture. So so that's my favourite counterfactual. I'm struggling to think of a tech example. Um because I kind of I generally with a lot of technical things like you could, well, you could argue well if we hadn't had the Second World War we wouldn't have had radar and therefore we wouldn't have had um, microwave ovens. But I think that people would generally have got there anyway because with tech it's often driven by the physics and the physics is explored just for curiosity's sake. And so if it hadn't happened that way it would have happened another way. Well, look at look our... look at the um, look at the Manhattan project. You know, I mean the the, the resources would never have been turned over. No, to but that it, sort it of might have thing. taken longer. But we would have got nuclear weapons and nuclear power eventually. I think this is a whole different podcast. Technological determinism. Yes. Yeah. Okay, we're gonna we're gonna stop there. 
so thank you as always for listening to the Cognitive Engineering Podcast. I'm Fraser McGrew. We've been here with Chris Ragg, Peter Coghill and Nick Hare of Aleph Insights. Until next time, goodbye. <laughs>